Alright, so welcome to Behind the Curtain with me, Jonah, and my friend Dalton. Um, Dalton is a is the junior high coach at Syracuse High School, uh, and also an offensive analyst at the school as well for the varsity football team. He has a bachelor's in exercise science, a master's in kinesiology, CSCS um, through, who's CSCS through? And National Council of Strength and Fitness. National Council of Strength and Fitness. He was the coach, at, the strength coach at Tarleton State. Um, Tarleton State is a powerhouse, correct? Yes, they are. But how far did they get when you were working with them? Uh, the first year we went to the third round. Um, and then the second year we lost in the first round. And that's Juco, right? No, they're, uh, they were a D2, but now they're, they bumped up to a D1. Really? Yep. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that. I thought that was a juke. I thought it was a junior college program. Nah, it was a full-on Division II NCAA. Okay. Where did you play? Uh, I played at Kansas Westland. It's a NAIA in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. What's NAIA? Uh, it's the National Athletic. I don't know. Something. S- something IA. How far did you get? Oh, it's the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics. There it is. Uh, yeah, the fir- the furthest my team ever went was the first round. Uh, my first year there, uh, we actually got to fly up to Oregon and play Southern Oregon, but they had a th- there's many issues with playing them. One, they were a public school in the NAIA. Most NAIAs are private schools. Okay. So, public schools is cheaper. Don't have to worry about, you know, giving them crazy amounts of scholarships. And they were in Oregon, so they got all the Oregon bounce backs. Oh, and and Oregon, obviously, and Oregon State are just loaded. Yeah, so they got all those guys. They actually had a linebacker that got kicked out of Oregon. They brought him there, and he played against us, and he literally body slammed one of our guys on kickoff. (laughs) And we we ended up losing 52-8. to That's fine. I got a free flight and a trip to Oregon. <laughs> now, did you did you try out for some NFL teams? Yeah, I tried out for like twelve. Twelve teams. Yeah. Do you know them off the top of your head? Uh, the big one was the Raiders. Uh, then we got the Rams, Chiefs, Texans, Titans, Ravens, Cowboys. Uh, then there's like couple CFL teams like the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, the Saskatchewan Rough I think the Rough Riders, I don't know, Stampede or Rough Riders, one of those. And then there was uh, the Patriots. Um, and I, I can't remember the last two. Now, how does that whole process work? Do they like contact you and say, hey, we want you to come to us, we're going to come to you? Like, how does that whole thing go? Yeah, so the guy that I was training with, uh, they would con- he would contact all these scouts and stuff. Oh, another one was the Giants. Sorry. Um, but they would contact – he would contact their scout like that he knew because he played in the NFL, so he knew a bunch of guys that were scouts and things like that. And he would set up like a like a pro day at his facility, um, and they would sit – and a couple of their scouts would come out. Or uh, he would set up a tryout, and I would fly out there. So, like for the Oakland Raiders, when I flew out to, uh, well, I flew out to Vegas, and then my buddy picked me up from Vegas because that's where he was living. 
and we drove the rest of the way. Okay. Because we just I just stayed at his house in Oakland. So, um, and the Oakland one was like two day tryout. There was like fifty three people there. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Are you nervous when you're walking into these kind of things? Yeah, because I'm severely undersized. He, he, there's guys there like six eight, six nine, like three hundred pounds, and there's receivers that are six two, two ten, and then I'm over there having to switch from O line to fullback, and I'm five ten and three fourths and two hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just a midget and amongst all these giants I'm like looking up having to talk to them <laughs> but so you get invited you do these things because of your technical work and how good you are that way yeah I, do. I don't have size but I do have strength and technique and that's what set me apart at the NAI level and that's what set me apart getting all these tryouts and the guy that I was training with actually working with me to get the tryouts were you recruited out of coming out of college? Did pro teams know about you? Uh, I had a couple people contact uh, my dad. Like, uh, there was this agency that contacted my dad, wanted to represent me, and we went ahead and went with him because we didn't have to pay for anything. And uh, we sent him a couple of clips and things like that. And he was like, "I got a couple teams that are interested right now." Now I don't know if they were NFL teams. Or, you know, he couldn't tell me. <clears throat> so we just went with it. And that, I mean. That's crazy, though. Did you did you try out with anybody who is now playing in the NFL? Uh, yeah, a guy named Danny Mason. Uh, he he, was on he the, worked with you? Yeah. Uh, me, and him train, me and him trained together. He was actually on the, me and him were training, and all of a sudden, he just wasn't there anymore. And I asked where he was, and they were like, oh, he got picked up by the Chicago Bears. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and, then, and then the next week, he was released, and then the Denver Broncos picked him up. He was with the Denver Broncos for the rest of the year. Oh, shit. Was, yeah. he, was he just huge, or was he, like, how, why was he picked? In? Well, he was, like, 6'5", I think. About like two forty, and he was just yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably had like I'd say about three to five percent body fat. Dude was ripped. Yeah, that's not yeah. And at that point, it's like genetics just start taking over. Yeah, he uh he's actually playing for the Ottawa Red Blacks now in the Canadian Football League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you think skill wise, technical wise, were you just as good? Uh, I would say. Technical wise, I was I was there. Like I knew how to do everything. I knew where to put my hands. I knew like body angles and how I had to be to be successful in blocking and, and all that stuff. I would say talent or skill wise. O line, yes. Uh fullback wise, no, but it was a completely new position, something I never played before. You know, I have to run routes now. I'm not the most cardiovascular person <laughs> so it was a little bit you know skill wise was i wasn't there and, and i feel like that's what kind of uh hindered me being picked up by a team even for just to go into camp you know i didn't even expect i didn't expect to make the 53-man roster and play every sunday but you know i just feel like my skill set wasn't there yet and teams just didn't want to work with me that you know most fullbacks they come in and they're ready right now so it is what it is. It was this experience. Is the fullback like that's not a really highly utilized, a real highly utilized position anymore in the NFL? 
And yeah. I would think I think the people who are fullbacks are even more athletic than they've ever been. Yeah. So, I mean, you're dealing with people who can run a fast 40 and catch out of the backfield and block. So, yep. yeah. So, you're looking at a guy like our Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs use fullbacks. And that's why they're good. I mean, Tennessee Titans use fullbacks, and that's why they're good. And you look at their fullbacks, where well, one's Fowler, and he played at Alabama. He's a freak athlete. And then you look at Sherman for the Chiefs, and he's a freak athlete. So it's like, you're right, you know, the fullback is a completely different position these days other than just blocking downhill. You know, you got to get out of the backfield, catch the ball. You got to run downfield and, and run a route. You got to block. and it's No more power eye formation for 30 plays a game. No. Nah. No. Well, I mean, it's still dope to be able to say you tried out for NFL teams, you've been in the system, you know how it all works. That's yeah. crazy because, I mean, 99% of people in the United States are never going to have an opportunity like that. Nope. Um, growing up, were you stronger, faster, bigger than everybody until a certain age, or how did that work? No? Man, I, I was a midget until freshman year of high school. Uh, <laughs> I was. I just had more tenacity. I was just aggressive. I was just, I mean, part of my language, I was just an asshole, you know? Like, I didn't take any bull crap or anything like that on the field. Like, I came after you, and I was going to give it to you every play, everything I got. And uh, somewhere along the way, I'm not going to lie, I kind of lost it. Um, like, my fifth, when I was in fifth grade, I didn't play that year because we moved, and I was late for registration, so I didn't play. And uh, I tried, you know, I played baseball and all that other stuff, but I just had to find it again, and I didn't find it again until I was like sophomore in high school. Got it, got it. But a fresh as a freshman, I was like 5'8", 185. Short and a butter. I was like a circle. <laughs> and I was um, playing online. I was slow as I was slow as shit. I was weak as shit. Like I couldn't. I was barely doing ninety five pounds. Okay. <laughs> so. Where did you go to high school? Where did the thing start to click? Uh, I went to Frisco Centennial in Frisco, Texas, about 45 minutes north of Dallas. And uh, uh, I would say things started to click when I started getting coached by Coach Ricky, yeah. my O-line coach. And uh, he played in NFL. He played for the Cowboys. He played at the University of Houston. He was an All-American. He was one day in the weight room I stayed after. I was working on biceps because I didn't know any better. And he asked me to come over there and spot him. And he had 635 pounds on bench press asking me to spot him. I was like, what do you want me to do? Yeah, you're just going to add extra weight when that thing falls. <laughs> I was like, you better get this thing up because I'm not going to be able to pick it up. He was like, I just need a lift off. I was like, all right. So I gave him a lift off. Not really. It's, you know, and then the next time I know, he just boom, 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 wrecked it. I said, what? 635, dude. I don't. It, I don't even know what that looks like on a bar because it's never been in my wheelhouse to even touch or think about. It, it looks as scary as it sounds. I would imagine, especially benching it. When you're on a move, you're dead. Like, you are dead. <laughs> yeah, you come off those shoulder blades, oh, you're torn labrum for sure. Did you, uh, Frisco, is that where Kyler went? Kyler went to Allen. Oh, okay, okay. So it's a little bit closer, but it's about, it's still North Dallas. See, I grew up in New York, and so... Football, I mean, it's cool and everything, but it's not the real main sport. And we have, like, we have some stadiums. Uh, but then you get down to Texas, and I remember driving, and it might have been Allen, because I used to drive from the Colony over to McKinney. And you look to your left on the highway, and it's like, 
this monstrosity of a stadium. Like that's a high school stadium, and there's ten thousand people, twenty thousand people that sit inside. Sixty million dollars. Yeah, it's it's school crazy. And then they play, and they play the high school championship in Dallas Stadium, in the Cowboy Stadium. Yep, Colin Murray is undefeated in Dallas Cowboy Stadium. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, he's been playing. Yeah, even when he played them in Dallas Stadium, he beat them. He's still undefeated. How many uh, how many people come to the like the high school championship game? Well, so how they do it is they play like two or three games a day. So they'll do like uh, the one A, the two A, and the three A state championship in one day, and then they'll do the four, five, and six another day. How big are those? Because in my in, in New York you have A, B, C, and D. I don't even think you go to the two A, three A, four A stuff. Uh, you're asking how big are each classification? Like how big? What, what kind of school did you go to? What level? So when I went there, there they were a four A. How many people in the school? Like eighteen hundred. How many grades? It was just nine through twelve. Dude, I was in a school K through twelve with six hundred kids. <laughs> well, that's where I'm coaching at. Where I'm at now, it's K through twelve. All the classes and everything is in the same building, and I think there's only like three hundred kids. Wow. Yeah. So. You can fit you can fit an entire class like the junior class in a lecture hall. That's not even that big. It's like three rows of tables. That's nuts. So yeah, so a little bit different than where you grew up. Oh yeah, for sure. When you are when you're in high school, you're in your senior year. Are you getting recruited by colleges? Yeah, I was getting recruited by SMU, North Texas, TCU when they weren't very good. Okay. Um, uh, and, and schools like that, and then of course you got the D twos that are coming in, uh, trying to come snag you, and D threes like Austin College was in my phone every day. Really? Yeah, D three was in my phone every day, and I was just like, um, I got D one offers. I say SMU and UNT; those are big. I mean, those are major schools. I mean, they're not obviously top level power ranking schools, but that's a major school to be recruited yeah. by. And then like, and they were both down the road, like yeah. With, far away and smu if you go to there when you're not getting a full ride you're paying forty thousand dollars for for a few oh, classes you're paying sixty thousand for a semester of class man i had a, i had a client who did her master's and her um her law degree there and she walked out of the out of school like 200k behind yeah. do that smu obviously is a whole other level of school uh why did you choose wesleyan uh so i went down a little uh college carousel <laughs> so at first i was like i'm gonna go to you know smu was like hey we prefer you to walk on this and that because your size and i was like no nah, i'm not doing that and then by the time all that happened i was just like ah, well what do i have well a couple d2s pulled their scholarship to give it to somebody else and i was like you know what screw it i'll just go to austin college They've been on my butt. They want me to go there, this and that. So I was like, I'll just go there. So I went there for a day. Next day, called my mom and dad, come get me. Why? Didn't like it. Didn't like really? the head coach. Didn't like the players. Didn't like the offense we were running. I didn't feel like it fit my style of play. So I was like, I just need to get out of here. So, um, and plus, I felt like I was kind of forced to make a decision when I really didn't want to make one. Um, and so I sat out a year was going to go to this school called Southwestern in Georgetown, Texas. It was another D3, but they were probably move up to D2 within the next couple of years. And they had recruited me at this other school, but they left that school to go to this school. 
So I was like, I'm going to go there. Went on multiple visits, went up there frequently just to hang out with the team and, and stuff like that. And uh, uh, they gave me a merit scholarship. And I what still, is that? it was the, their highest scholarship, the highest academic scholarship they could give, That's which was 28000 but I still couldn't afford it. Whoa. So, and that was in like July, and I had to make a decision for August. And so I started contacting all those little business cards I got in high school, and I ended up at McPherson College in McPherson, Kansas. It's NAI, and they're in the same division as Kansas Westland. Okay. And then my first year, uh, broke my broke a bone in my foot. Uh, second year, got a or got a pulled hamstring, then broke the bone in my foot, and then I got a concussion the second year. Both those years, we went through head coaching changes, and they were like, "You can transfer if you want." I said, "All right, bet." So me, and my friend, and a couple of other people within the conference all transferred to Kansas Westland. We created a powerhouse all-star team, and we went ten and two. That's cool. Yeah. That must have been a lot of fun then. Oh, it was. Yeah. How many we years were, did you play at Kansas Westland? Uh, three, three or four. Are you walking right in there and starting immediately? Yeah. No shit. That's dope. Yeah. And so, okay, so you I get out of Kansas little, Westland. So we, we all transferred in the spring. Okay. And so we went through spring workouts and, and off-season workouts, and then we went through spring football. And, like, I just picked up the offense super quick, and I knew everything. I knew all the technique and everything. So the O-line coach told Coach Drinkle, he was like, that kid's going to be a stud, and he's going to start for us day one. And I sure sure shit did. That's cool, man. That's dope. And – it's crazy thinking because we when we worked together uh, at twenty four, they had those uh, the, like the manual um, the manual treadmills or whatever. Yeah. And this is just I'm backtracking a little bit because I mean I topped out my top speed and it was like 17, 18 miles an hour, and I'm what one sixty five soaking wet with like a yeah. like weighted vest on, and and then you hop on and hit the exact same speed with a hundred extra pounds on you and like and do a pull up and doing this. So and it makes me think I'm like, man, like if you're small and undersized and slow, it, those dudes at the next level. And then there's another, there's, it's, I mean, there's levels to this thing. Oh yeah. Feel. You, you think you look at, so just take the Cowboys for instance, you look at their old, you look at one of their old linemen and Tyron Smith, he's six, seven, I think like three fifteen, three twenty, 320 with 12, with 12% body fat. And he can bust out pull-ups, and he could probably run at 20 miles an hour, and he can do it like he's. They're just freak athletes across the board, yeah. because you don't get to that level without being that freak athlete. There's no way. And at some point, it's like you just gotta accept fate. It's like, well, I'm just I'm not going to make that level. Like it is what it is. Like, and then you get dudes like DK Metcalf, who I'm sure you have seen the highlight from last week, <laughs> and he's 23 miles an hour, and he catches him. <laughs> Catching somebody else with a 20-yard head start in the NFL. And so then you have people like that who are just, it's not fair. It's superhumans. No, it's not fair at all. But it's like you said, at some point you have to accept it. And that's something that I struggle with because, you know, you play football for 18 years. Yeah. From Pop Warner all the way to, to college. And you're sitting yeah. here thinking like, well, that was a waste of 18 years. But then you look at what all football teaches you and helps you with because when I was a kid, I was a little shit. I was a troublemaker. I was fighting all the time, you know. And my mom and dad tried their best to discipline me, but mom and dad discipline is, you know, it's not nothing like football discipline. In one ear and out the other, and it is. Yeah. 
So then, you know, you start playing football for schools and you get in trouble at school. Well, it's bigger than you. It's the whole program, right? So when you do this one bad thing, it makes the whole program look bad. It makes the coaches look bad. So now they got to punish you for your wrongdoings. Or if it's a group of guys, they got to punish the whole team because y'all could have stopped it. So now it's teaching you discipline. It's building your character. It's teaching you responsibility and accountability, not only for your actions, but for your teammates' actions. And so, I, you know, for those 18 years, I thank football because it, I mean, it honestly, it taught me so many things and made me a better person than I would have been if I had not played football. Exactly, yeah. So, and, and I think when you take it serious and when you take football serious and, and you do all the things right that you're supposed to be doing, you know, you'll be given opportunities to play or to start or to even reach a level that you should not be at, which is what happened to me. I should not have been trying out for NFL teams. And I'll tell you that tomorrow, next week, next month, <laughs> you know, well, I, there's well, no way I should have been there, but I was. And your coaches go to bat for you because, hey, this is an upstanding dude. He, he Not only is he, is he talented and he works hard, off the field, you're not going to have a headache. You can worry, you can you can rely on him to show up to practice, do the right things, go home and not be in trouble. Yeah. And then, how, many, how many guys do you see super talented go through the NFL draft and fall hard? Well, that's what I was going to say. Vice versa, you have, you have these dudes who are, I mean, why, and you look at more of the skill players than anything where they don't might not have to work as hard at their skill because they're naturally just gifted. But they're a fool off the field, and it's like, I don't think I even want to take a chance on you because it's, I mean, Antonio Brown is the perfect example. Yeah. The dude might be the most talented wide receiver in the league, and he can barely get a job. It's like, because he's a head case. There's something, there's something going on with, with him off the field. Nobody wants to touch it. Nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody. Yeah. And so, and and now, okay, so now you're a coach, and yep. and for me. The people who stick out the most in my sports career have always been the coaches that it's like we're, we're building when I was playing soccer, basketball, we're building a good team and everything. But it's more about creating and, and I'm sure women, too, in, in their respective sports. But like I remember coaches who were hard, disciplined, hard nosed guys. But at the same time, where I can go talk to them about my problems and they can sit down and they can show you a side one on one where it's like, all right, you can come to me. And we'll help you get through this kind of thing. So now as you a coach and you're dealing with JV kids who are, what, 8th grade, 7th grade? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that, you're trying to instill discipline in kids who have no idea what it's about. And so tell me what that's like. Well, so you got to think about here's, – here's the tough thing about the job that I'm in right now is I'm in a community that has a very weird demographic, okay? So I'm in southwest Kansas and uh, – the demographic is 50% uh, Hispanic and 50% 50% uh, Caucasian. Okay. Okay. So all you got out here is farms, ranches, dairy, and feedlots. And so who do you call? Who do you bring in to work those? Well, you bring in cheap immigrant yeah. labor, right? So 90. I would say out of the 50% of the Latino community, I would say. 35 to 40 percent don't speak english okay and they're in the school and i don't speak a lick of spanish i know a little bit (laughs) i know like hola como estas like like i know that stuff but i don't know how to hold a full-on conversation so uh so now you're trying to coach kids that might not speak english grant luckily the kids that i had they all spoke english and understood it but 
the thing that you run into is those those parents aren't ever home. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always on the ranch. They wake up and they go to work at four. They come home at like eight or nine o'clock at night. By then, their kid is probably already in bed. Yeah. You know, so these kids wake up without seeing their parents, go to They're bed without themselves. seeing their parents. They're raising themselves, so they have no discipline, no responsibility whatsoever, and no accountability, right? And those are the three main things that I hit on earlier. And those are the three main things that I hit on now as a coach. So when I got here, the head coach for the varsity said, you're going to have your hands full with these kids, this kid, and this kid especially. And I pulled one of those kids aside the very first day. I said, look, you're on a very short leash. I was like, you made one wrong move and you're done. I don't care if it's junior high level. I don't care if it's at the varsity level. If you make one more mistake, you're done. Like, we're not going to tolerate it. You're 12 years old. You've been arrested six times. Whoa. And and at that point, it's no fault of his own. Like, how can you tell a kid to do – like? It's just no, yeah, like you said, no structure in his life. And so, what is a kid gonna do? He's gonna get in trouble mostly. Yeah. So I told him that day one didn't have a single problem with him all year. Dope. That's dope. And this other kid, man, this other kid, he he was he's a head coach day one. Wanted to play quarterback. Probably should have been playing quarterback, but he didn't know the plays. He didn't have the mental capacity to play quarterback. Meaning he throw an interception, he check out. Yeah. He'd fumble the ball. He'd check out, get sacked. He'd check out. Like, you, you can't do that and play quarterback. So, and I told him that. I was like, you're not going to play quarterback. You don't have it. And he got upset. And he walked off the field. I said, okay, don't come back. And then he came back and he apologized and, and this and that. And we talked a little bit. And then literally the next week, the same problem occurred. And he was talking crap about the quarterback that I had playing quarterback. And I was like, we're not doing that. So you either apologize to, to to the kid and to the team and to me again, or you're done. Is he talented? Yeah, the kid's super talented. He's got a – as an eighth grader, he could probably throw the ball 40 yards. Yeah, I know. I don't think I can throw the ball 40 yards. Yeah, he's, 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 he's got the arm talent. Yep. But he's just – he's got anger issues and, and all kinds of things from the lack of structure and discipline at home. So – you know, he kept on giving me problems. I was like, look, you're done. You're off the team. I'm not dealing with it. I told the athletic director. I told the head coach. They kind of backed me, and they are like, why don't we just suspend him? I was like, okay. So I suspended him for a week, and for that whole week, he had to clean helmets, shoulder pads, clean the locker room, clean my <laughs> office. He had to bring the He had to be the manager and help the managers with anything. Like, I made him hate his life. Mm-hmm. He, and he came back, and he was a different player, and he was a different person, and Ultimately, he ended up playing quarterback, and the last game of the year in the fourth quarter, he he scored 30 points. Yeah, he's talented a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he, he returned a punt for a touchdown. He threw, like, three long balls that were, like, just on the money. All the receiver had to do was this, and they were just right there in the breadbasket. Uh, in the first quarter, he scored the first touchdown out of the game. So, like, he, he accounted for all 38 of our points. Wild. Yeah, he's a good kid. He's he just he needs discipline and structure. Yeah. And like and that's how I, I did it. If they forgot their practice jersey, forgot their pads, or forgot their practice pants, like they stayed after practice. If they got a detention, if they had to make up classwork because they were goofing off in class, they saw me after practice. Um, if they were failing, uh so we did grave reports every Monday. So if they were on the ineligible list Monday, they couldn't play Thursday. So they were with me every day after practice doing punishment for that. Only had like three kids on that list. 
Um, and, you know, just just teaching them that there are consequences to actions. So, and that's a big thing that they don't understand at all, being 12, 13, 14 years yeah. old. They don't, they don't understand that there are consequences to the things that they do. So teaching them that, and uh, uh, there was one time where the whole team got in trouble, or a couple of the guys on the team got in trouble in PE, and I punished the whole team. And they're literally trying to tell me that team punishment's illegal. I was like, that must be a Kansas thing, because in Texas, I... <laughs> That's in New York, man, I hated... The worst thing, I think, for a kid is to, like, you get in trouble, and then the coach is like, all right, you don't get punished, but the rest of the team's going to get punished. And you're like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. Yep. That, it's that trial by fire by your peers is worse than anything else. Yep. And I was just like, guys, I know for a fact that there's more football guys in that PE class because all y'all have the same class because there's exactly. only 30. There's only, your class is only 30. So I know y'all were in the same PE class, and I know that y'all could have stopped them from doing that to prevent y'all being in trouble, prevent being – they had PE taken away from them for a whole week. <laughs> Why would I not punish the whole team for that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Was, all y'all were there. Y'all could have stopped it. Y'all didn't, so that's why we have team punishment. And I had to explain it to them because they didn't believe in team punishment. No, it's the best way to do it because it's, it's one cohesive unit when you're on a team, and it has – as, as – you're only as strong as your weakest link, and all these other cliches. But it's those are cliches for a reason. Like if you're if you got a jackass on your team, slowly but surely they're gonna start eating away at the rest of the team. Yep, cancer cancer is a cell that un it doesn't have regulated growth. So when you have a cancer in your locker room, it's gonna grow at an alarming rate, and it's gonna affect every single person in that locker room. Mm-hmm. And we and at the varsity level, we had the same thing happen. We we started a, a freshman quarterback over this other guy because one, they the freshman won the competition. Two, the freshman has a better arm. You know, he's a little bit better of of a player. And granted, now if we would have started the, the junior, we probably would have been in a more of a win now mode. Mm-hmm. But we were still winning with the freshman, so it's like why doesn't really matter. Well, a couple of guys got together and they were talking crap about the quarterback and the coaching staff and how we baby the quarterback and this and that. So the head coach just kicked him out in the middle of a game. Said, go to the locker room, go home. I don't want you here. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and like that's like with the OBJ thing when he was like, when he pouts on the sideline and everything. And you got to be thinking those dudes who are on his team are like, dude, just shut up. And like, they just wish they could be like, dude, just just go home. Like, this is not what we want on our team. And as a teammate, I would, it would make me so frustrated to have kids like that or have a teammate like that because it, it eats away at the at how everyone feels about themselves. It eats away at the camaraderie of the team. And it's just, yeah, it's a cancer. Slowly yeah, you're, take, you're taking the team, you're taking a big picture of the team away from exactly. everybody else to focus on you by expressing your own feelings and things towards now we're not saying you can't express your feelings at all if you're upset about something you, you need to bring it up in a meeting with the coaches you don't need to bring it up around the fo- other teammates and try to get them on your side and then create a divide and then now the team's not performing right and now we're like well what the hell's going on and then the first time we hear about anything like that is six games into the season with two games left and like, I'm sure in football i think more than any other sport where you have 53 guys on a roster you got 11 guys on each side of the ball, and it's like, and you see all like the good quarterbacks. You see 
hey, what was the key to th- the key things to your game this year, to your wins today? And the quarterback, first thing he did, the O line did this, the running back did this, the receivers played well. The good guys are the last. The last person they're going to congratulate is themselves because that cohesive unit, football more than anything else, is a needed part. Because if you don't do your part on the O line, that quarterback's getting sacked, or the running back's going to get stopped. And it's more than anything, it's a team sport. Yeah, it's like so our center was having trouble snapping the ball, and I and I was just telling, him, I was like, hey man, we the play doesn't start without the ball. If we don't have the ball in the quarterback's hands, we can't run the play. <laughs> yeah. If y'all don't block, the play doesn't happen. If he doesn't make the right throw, the play doesn't go. If the receiver doesn't, it, you know, if everybody just, it goes back to the mantra that uh, Bill Belichick had during that run they had at the Super Bowl. It's like, just do your job. Yeah. If everybody does their job, doesn't worry about everybody else's job, then you're going to be fine. The team's going to work to gel together and we're going to put up points. We're going to win games. But if you don't do your job and you're worried about somebody else, then. Yeah. One thing is off, and the next thing is off just a little bit, and it gets bigger and bigger, and that problem just grows exponentially. Yep. Um, I saw a parent put something up on Facebook thanking you. Yeah. How did that feel? Man, it felt it, honestly, it felt great because, you know, during the year, I was getting a lot of backlash for how I coach. Why? So, uh, because I'm different than what their kids have been used to. So. <laughs> You know, the kids the, the kids here never had discipline. Uh, they never had a coach that cared that much about each player and what they were doing outside of football. Um, you know, they just they never had a coach that cared as much about football as or cared more about football than the players. Mm-hmm. They never had a coach that ripped them and chewed them out and then was their best friend the next second. Like they just never had proper coaching, to be honest. Like and uh, you know, I would cuss at them. I would call them you know, names and things like that. Like if they messed up in practice or they weren't being aggressive, like I would call them a pussy and things like that. Like, <laughs> 12, 13 year old kid. 12, 13 year old kid, I'm coming and calling them a pussy. But like, you know, sometimes they need to be told that. Like, hey, you're, this is a violent game. You need to play aggressive. Quit being a little bitch. You got pads on. So do they. It's not going to hurt. I promise you. Now you start playing soft and playing scared and they rock That's your true. shit, it's going to hurt. If you hurt. play hard and you're and you're not tensed up and you're relaxed, it's not gonna hurt. I promise you. And then you know, I had a couple of kids' parents start putting things in their head and making the kids not want to play, uh, faking concussions, uh, anything to get off the field and, and get away from my coaching. Mm-hmm. But you know, that parent had always been a supporter of who I was and, and the coach I was because she noticed a change in her son. Mm-hmm. She noticed a change in several of the players and how they were playing. You know, she noticed that they were being taught football and not just – I wasn't just giving the ball to my best player and letting them run all over the field. And that's what usually junior high is. And you're not making the program better by doing that. Because no. those kids are going to get up to the varsity level and realize that everybody's just as fast, just as big, just as strong as them. And then that coach is going to be like, well, he's our best player. Why isn't it working? I was like, because all you did was train that kid to be your workhorse. And now the varsity level knows that, so we're going to key on him. Yeah. So – I could have gave I could have gave the ball to my my running back every play who's a seventh grader and runs like he's a fucking freshman. Mm-hmm. I could have gave it to him every play. Chose not to. I chose to teach them how to line up in all the different formations. Chose to teach them how to pass block, run block. To, chose to make the quarterback make reads, um, and I chose to make them play a, a a scheme defense where they have to do a particular job before they even find the ball. Okay. 
So I made them do all this stuff. Did we win games? No, we won one game. But it's brand new, the whole system. The whole system's brand new. They were running a, a, a wishbone offense last year, and then this year we go to complete spread with inside zone reads and powers and pools yeah. and all kinds of that. And I told him, I was like, y'all are way better football players than anybody in this conference because y'all learned how to do this, because the varsity does it. So now like, you have cohesion, cohesion all the way up the, the pipeline. Exactly. And now they're ready to play football right away because they know the system. Yeah. They know the defense. They know what they're supposed to do. The thing that, you know, the thing that parents didn't like is we weren't winning games when the last two years they they lost one game. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, you flipped it on their head. Yeah, and I and I told the kids I was like, "Hey, my eighth grade year, we lost every single game." Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter in JV. You're not fighting for a state championship. That's what I'm saying. And then, so I told them I was like, "My my junior high years at eighth grade, we lost every game." You want to know what happened when I got up to varsity in my senior year? We went undefeated. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We didn't, lose, we didn't lose until the third round of playoffs. Exactly. We knew what we were doing. We knew how to do it, and we knew what we were supposed to do. Were we the most talented team? We had some talent. Yeah, every team does. This team, when they get up to the varsity level, they're going to have talent. Mm-hmm. The quarterback I was talking about, he's a talented kid. He can play corner, receiver, quarterback, linebacker. You can put him anywhere, and he'll play it. So they're going to have they, – they have talent, but it wasn't what they are accustomed to, and so it was brand new, so they had to learn a bunch of different things. But – by learning that, it's only going to make them better in the long run. But parents didn't like it. And a uh, couple parents went to the school board, were trying to get me fired. And Wow. Yeah. So it was a big, big ordeal. And I didn't think I was going to make it through the season or the rest of the semester. But I had the support of the athletic director, the head coach. Um, and I would say about 50, it was like 50 50 on me. Like parents hated me, parents liked me. And so. Now- and in school, are the, the teachers noticing a change in how the kids are acting as well? Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple of teachers tell me, uh, you know, this is the best this kid's ever been. And I'm saying, and they're really enjoying playing for you. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's great to hear. That's why I was brought here. And then somewhere along the lines, the teacher stopped telling me when the kid was getting in trouble. Uh, and I think that's because. Teachers don't really like me because I'm also a teacher. They probably don't like the way I teach and handle things, um, which is fine. I'm not, a, I'm not a certified teacher. and I'm So, you know, of course, there are things I don't know how to do or how to. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know how to do something when I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you know that for me, you work together at 24 Hour Fitness. Like, I'm not going to train a client for uh, a Spartan race when I'm not. I don't even know what the hell to train them for. You know what I'm saying? So. Uh, and I feel like somewhere along the lines, the teachers just stopped like liking me and trying to communicate with me. Because at the beginning, I was like, "Hey, if they get in trouble, let me know. I'll come down and fix it." And, you know, they would tell me, "Hey, this kid wasn't in class today. This kid was falling asleep in class today, or this kid was being a was misbehaving in class. This kid hasn't been turning in his homework." And then they just stopped. And then they just started pulling my kids out of practice to stay after school, and nobody was telling me anything. So when I got the little pink slips that they came to practice with and I read it, and I was like, why aren't you turning in your homework? Why are you falling asleep in class? Like I had to handle it there at practice instead of handling it before or after practice when I, you know, when I've already been told throughout the day. So I can't wait until after practice to handle it. But um, but there, there was like there's one kid that 
he he played last year and he wasn't eligible for a single game. And he played in every single game. Well, how? Why? He just didn't care about school, didn't want to be there. And then uh, something something this year clicked with him. He was eligible for every single game, and he didn't miss a single game. And was he getting in trouble at all in his school anymore, doing his work? Nope. Nope, not getting in trouble, turning in his work. I just told this. this is a big thing that they don't understand is, like, if they don't know how to do something, they just don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I told him, I was like, look, I understand that. I'm the same way. But in school, if you don't know how to do something, you're better off turning something in and getting some type of grade for it than getting a zero. A yes. 50 is better than a zero. Way better. Like, yeah. that zero will wreck you. Yeah. And that's what kids were doing. So when they went and actually turned their stuff in, they were getting some type of grade and they were staying, staying eligible for, for football, which was great because I only had 17 kids. Yeah. So, so if I get a kid, if I get one kid ineligible, that changes the whole dynamic of practice. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even able to do eleven on eleven team stuff. I had to do half line. Had to I had to work the right side and then come back work the left side and then go work right side and left side of the defense mm-hmm. because I didn't have enough kids. That's crazy. That's nuts. And and like to go back to the point of being hard on the kids. My favorite coaches, looking back on it now, not during and not when. But were the coaches who were hard asses, and yep. and the only things I remember through my whole career were the good coaches, were the ones that like instilled discipline in me. I mean, I had a hot when I used to play hockey way when I was younger. Uh, I'd always skate with one hand on the stick, which is you don't want like at six years old you want to learn good habits like in any other sport. So I had a coach take duct tape in the middle of the game and tape my hands to the stick, and so I'm out there skating around with duct tape on my hand like this. And I'll remember that till the day I die. But that coach, I also remember, was maybe – he was the first coach. I'm now six years old. He and, and I, I remember one time I mouthed off to my mom when I was, like, carrying my hockey bag or something like that, and he caught wind of it. And, boy, did I get a tongue lashing. And But I'll never forget it. And, like, and he just – and it was respect, respect, respect. Like, we don't give a shit as – well, we don't give as much of a shit on you on the ice as we do – how we're going to create you and how what young men you're going to become off of the ice. Because, yep. like we said, 99% of people are not going to make professional sports and make money off playing, playing being athletic. But everyone can be better, and everyone can is going to make money off being a disciplined, well-mannered young man or woman. Yep, and that's another problem we had was kids being disrespectful. And, like, this one kid lied to a teacher about what he said about me, and when I confronted him about it, he continued to lie, and I brought him in front of the teacher, and he continued to lie. And I was just like, and, and we we also had a problem with how the kids were treating women and, and things like that. And I was like, and how they were treating their teammates. And I was like, I don't tolerate disrespect, not to me, not to a teammate, not to a, a community, not to a, a fellow student, nobody, because you don't have the right to disrespect them in any way, shape, or form when all they're doing is trying to help you. So we're not going to do that. And when I caught them doing stuff like that, oh my! Like we were on the bus, for example, we were on the bus ride home, and they started singing that song where it's like, "I like you, I don't give a fuck about your girlfriend," and they said it. The whole team said it, and I was like, blew my whistle. I was like, "Way to go, jackasses! You just ruined the bus ride home." So I'll see you. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow after practice, or tomorrow. Uh, we didn't have school that day, so I was like, "I'll just see y'all tomorrow at 10 a.m. for conditioning." Way to go, y'all! Just lost all talking privileges. Y'all can just shut up. And not say damn word the rest of the way home. And I think, and it might sound like aggressive. It might sound like 
which is on the people bus. Who, yeah, and people who never played sports, that might sound extreme, but if you have played sports, I know I've sat on the bus and been like, ugh. I remember one time we won a game, yeah. and on the bench we were like kind of fucking off, and like we were up like 11 nothing in a soccer game, just blowing this team out, and we were messing around on the bench. And my coach was like, good job, guys. We're staying after and just running. It was like, you know, we're up by 11, and we're in a visiting school, and we're just doing sprints on their own field after we just kicked the shit out of them. And I, but that's the kind of stuff. It's like – It's the little things. Yep, we're not going to do that again, and I'm never going to fuck up like that again. And it's going to be a complete respect thing from day one. And like you said, in my, in my town, there's a pipeline from youth soccer all the way up to the varsity level. It is just respect. And we do the exact same thing. Like, we, we treat – the varsity set such a good example by the time they get there that the example falls all the way down to the six-year-olds. And it's like you act the same way as these role models do, and then these role models are looked at as role models because they're, a, they're, they're part of the, the community, and they do things, and they act right. And that gives a good example for everybody else following their, in their footsteps. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is people think we're taking away you know, their childhood and how they should act in, or taking away the aspect that they should – be kids and be able to have fun. We're not saying that. We're just saying don't be a fucking jackass. Yeah, it's there's a big difference between having fun and being a little asshole. Big yeah. difference. Very. Most and most parents, when they see the change in the kid, are very grateful, and they know that usually the athletic coaches are the only ones who can discipline their kids when it yeah. comes down to it. Yeah, because what? It's not like a parent can say, "Hey, go outside and run twenty wind sprints for talking back to your mother." <laughs> yeah. But if you want to play that day, if you want to play on Friday, you're going to be doing it. And if I wanted to play on a game, it's like, "Damn, I got to listen to this dude." Yep. Simple as that. And you might not, you might not like it at the time, but like you said, when you sit here and look back and all the coaches that you had, you can't do anything but be grateful for what they Complete did, to you, what they did for you. So. Um, do you do you like coaching as much as you, or do you did you think you were going to like coaching as much as you do? Is that a good question? I think. Yeah. So you're asking if I like coaching as much or oh. as much as do you do I like coaching football as much as I like playing it? Basically. Well, for that one question too, and did you think you were going to like coaching? And now looking into it, did you the expectations meet the reality? Uh, well, I didn't know if I would like coaching, to be honest, because, you know, I was a strength coach and I was a personal trainer. So that's coaching, too. And I had fits with both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a different type of coaching. But it's the same kind of fits that you deal with. You know, you deal with the same things day in and day out. But coming into the job, I knew it was going to be tough because I went from being a college coach to yeah. a junior high coach. So I knew there were some things that I had to change and some things that I had to work through. Like, for instance, I wanted them to get it and be good at it now. Like, teach it to them, coach it to them, boom, go apply it. Yeah. They couldn't do it. Not happening. So I, so I struggled with that. Um, you know, as far as the discipline aspect go, I was way beyond what I thought I would be able to do with that. Okay. Um. My biggest thing was is I didn't think I'd be seen as a authoritative figure because of how I am as a person. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I goof off, I have fun, like, but I didn't feel like when it was time for me to be stern that I could be that guy, and I can't be that guy. I mean, <laughs> it's actually terrifying, and, and, and students and, and kids and varsity players are already like, you know, that's the talk of the town, like talk of the town, like don't piss off Coach Tex because you don't want to deal with it. Well, you're a big so, dude, and you have the 
the backup now of trying for the NFL, playing at a high level, like there's a lot of weight that comes with along with those things. Yeah, I just didn't think I could be able to sit there and just yell and rip into a kid oh. without, like, <laughs> yeah, without like one, without my voice cracking, two, yeah. my voice sounding menacing enough. But apparently it does, so I, I, you know, I'm grateful for that. So there's there's some things that I didn't think I'd be able to do well that I have done well. There's some things that I thought I would be able to do well and I haven't been able to do well. And those things are like you know just being, uh, being kind of more professional. I thought I'd be super professional, but turns out I'm not at all. I just don't think it's in me to be professional because, to be honest, I just don't give a shit yeah. about ninety percent of the professional stuff. Um, like they want me to wear khakis on the sideline, but khakis on the sideline isn't gonna help me win the game. Yeah. Well, that's My, like in the NFL, you gotta wear, you have to wear your team stuff, and it's yeah. like does that really matter? Like that's a big deal. Yeah. But it goes back to it being one of those little things. I was like, I can win. My college coach wore athletic shorts every single game, and we won twenty three games. Same. My dude would always wear shorts, even in snow, and we never we did not lose. Period. Yeah. So what's what's does khakis help you win? No. It's just a professional look, but what's what's so professional looking about football? Like, why does a coach have to pr- dress professionally on the sidelines when I'm going to be cussing at the players, cussing at the refs? Like, I'm going to be doing all this unprofessional things, so why should I keep everything? But, you know, there's just some things like, like that I just struggled with that I didn't think I would, but I did. But, you know, it was, very, it was a learning experience for sure, and uh, uh, I'm grateful for it. And, Happy that I got the opportunity to coach junior high kids, which I didn't even see myself coaching. You know, I, me and you have had several conversations about this. You know, I'm a college coach. I need to be at the college level with how I coach and how I say things and how I do things. Worst case scenario, I'm at the varsity level. Do not need to be at the junior high level at all. <laughs> but I was, and and I feel like it taught me a lot more about the the background stuff of being a coach, like having to schedule travel times. Uh, pre-game and post-game meals. Are we going to shower at the at the facility? You know, um, preparing like getting all the equipment and, and, and game balls and, and all that ready. Making sure that the training bag is ready because we don't have an athletic trainer, so I have to double as that, which I'm more than capable of doing. So it's like you know, taping ankles and stuff. Making sure we have tape, wrap, scissors, things like that in there. Advil, uh, yeah. hydrogen peroxide, get blood off jerseys, like. There's a bunch of little things going into it, like creating it, doing inventory and, and, and creating an inventory postseason and preseason to get to the athletic director so he knows what we need to get, what we don't need to buy. Uh, managing the budget, which I didn't even touch the budget this year because I didn't even want to deal with it because it seems so complicated. So it's, it's, it's a bunch of different things that you learn as a junior high head coach that prepares you to be a head coach for a, a higher up level. Yeah. You're going to have to do that up there anyways. And all the behind the scenes. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the actual coaching of football is the easiest thing you're going to do comparatively. Oh, all so the behind easy. Yeah. All you got to do is yell at kids, tell them what to do, coach them how to do things. <laughs> and then in the game, all I have to do is call the plays and tell and them. That's all second happen. nature at this point. You've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, that's second nature stuff. It's all the other stuff that you have to deal with that doesn't have to deal with being on the field. It's in the classroom, outside of the community, like all the behind the scenes stuff, dealing with the athletic director and the varsity head coach and still having to do the varsity stuff as well as the junior high stuff, balancing your time with being a teacher. And it it was just a bunch of nonsense. And 
I'm grateful that next year I get to be the varsity O-line coach and, and offensive coordinator, and I don't have to deal with junior high anymore. But so That was my question next. So, yeah, next year you're just varsity O-line and offensive coordinator? Yeah, varsity O-line, offensive coordinator. That's your wheelhouse. Man, the last game of the year, I actually got to spend the whole week coaching the O-line during individual time in practice and during team and stuff like that, and I fixed all the run game stuff. First play of the game, we bust a freaking 60-yard touchdown run. That's cool. So I'm sure you were very happy about that. Oh, yeah, I was. So now you give – how many weeks is the football season at your school? Uh, I, I guess think, from, from like, o, OTAs or whatever it is in the high school have, level? We have OTAs, but it's not like – it's not NFL OTAs, but it's yeah. like uh, – Week one – summer. Guys- so June, July, we have the summer workouts, okay. I think. Yeah, June and July. And then we have – we start in August. Well, the summer workouts go through August, and then about mid-August we start uh, Hell Week and uh, training camp, uh, like practices and stuff before the first week of games. And then we – due to COVID, we couldn't play our scrimmage. Um, so we just did our own scrimmage against ourselves. Um, and then we played – eight games but i think the season gives you an optional ninth week if you want to play uh but we declined to play it because of covid and, th- and things of that nature and the team that we would be playing was a, as a state contender and they got hit with covid hard so they're really good and we didn't want to get embarrassed so we just didn't want to play them yeah, yeah, yeah. plus we had we had kids that didn't want to play anymore just wanted the season to be over with so uh, but I think it's eight to nine weeks. I'm sure. I think I'm not 100 percent sure about that. So like a four month, five month thing total. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm here until July 31st. <laughs> next year. Of no, this last year I moved here July 31st. Oh, oh, so like halfway or in the beginning, yeah. not even in the beginning of everything. Yeah. So I was only here for August, uh, August, September. October, November. So I was only here for like three, three the three months because we only went to October. Okay. Yeah. So, so is the the varsity team good where you're at? Uh, they're not bad. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a few things that. Uh, well, one thing was like we kind of didn't. We kind of had coaches coaching out of position, which we all knew that going in. So it's not like a big surprise. Like we had a defensive backs coach who was a phenomenal DB coach. Coaching the O line, okay, and he'll tell you he was like I don't know anything about O line, and he would ask for my help, and you know I whenever I had time I would go over there and help, but usually by the time I ended my practice, their practice was past the team stuff, and they were getting into special teams, so I couldn't even, but you know I do what I could, and you know I just feel like if we would have had coaches coaching in the right spots, we would have been better than we were, uh, but we also had a freshman quarterback. Um, we don't really have any talented receivers that we can say, hey, run a vert and we'll throw it up to you. Um, the majority of the of the games that we won were, you know, beating teams that we were supposed to beat. Okay. And uh, we struggled competing in games that we should have, you know, competed in. Like there's one game we lost 60 to 14, but we should have competed with that team. But we just had kids scared to tackle, weren't doing their job. And that's the same game that kids got kicked out of the game. So, um, but you know, it's just, 
we could have been better than we were, but you know, yeah. we have some talented kids. Um, we got some kids that work really hard. The head coach is, is, is a really good head coach and really smart and knows X's and O's. Um, but he just had to worry about too much on the offensive side instead of watching just the quarterback. He had to watch all 11 positions. So, and I felt like that was our downfall. But, you know, we, we'll have we'll have good kids returning next year and we'll be able to compete and be a little bit better, I, I, I think. Did you enjoy coaching? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did you like it more than personal training? Yes. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Personal training, the schedule was crazy for personal training. Yeah, it's, it's not like, ideal. Like, we, we, it was, it's not ideal, but you could make it ideal. You know what I'm saying? Like, so for instance, like you were in there every morning at six and you were done every morning at noon or every yeah. day at noon. Yeah. Like, and then you got my schedule, and I was sitting there. I'd get up there at six, have one client leave, come back at like seven. Da, 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 da. And so it was just like you, as a personal trainer, you could do something to, about your schedule and, and make it the way you want it. And there was good money in it, but not if you're in a corporate setting, which we which we were in. Uh, I think you started to realize that when you kind of mentioned it out on your own. Yeah, it's fucking that middleman bullshit is just for the birds. Yeah, and so I don't know. I I feel like the clients kind of make it worse because you know they don't really, you know, they say they want this and then you try to give them it and they don't want it as bad as you say. But in coaching, it's kind of the same thing. You know, these kids tell you they want this and then you're like, okay, well let's get to work, and then they don't want it as bad as they said they wanted it because they don't want to be pushed. You know, so it's kind of like it's kind of the same kind of boat, but not really because the I would just say the schedule aspect is a little bit better for a personal trainer than it is for a teacher or a coach. Cause I go from seven forty to three forty and then from four o'clock to six six thirty seven. Wow. Yeah. That's, so about that's a long day. Twelve about twelve to sixteen hour days is what I averaged. I don't envy that at all, dude. No. And it wasn't even it wasn't any better being a strength coach. I'd wake up at five. I'd wake up at four forty five. Get there at five. Be there from five to uh, about nine nine thirty ten. Get a, like an hour break and have to come right back for eleven to four in the afternoon. And then I would go out to football from four thirty to seven thirty. Have to come back in for track from seven thirty to eight thirty nine o'clock at night. And then I have to go back home do my master's homework. Yeah, and then. Wake up next day at 4.45. And I did that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday we got out at noon, though. And then uh, Saturday was game days. So Yeah. Did you like – do you like being a strength coach more than a head coach or no? Um, I feel like I would like being a strength coach better if I was at a bigger university where they only focused on one sport. So for Tarleton, the strength coach aspect, we trained every single sport. We didn't have enough strength coaches for individual sports. Okay. So we had to train baseball, and then football came in, and then we had softball and basketball and volleyball. And you're, and you're not doing the same kind of workout for everybody. No. No, it's got to be, I mean, you're going specific at that point in college. So it's like different workouts, different – oh, fuck all that, dude. That's a yeah. lot of work. And then you got, like, throwers, and then you got track runners. And, yeah. And, so it was just every, it was just a carousel of people constantly coming in. You never got a break, and if you did, it was like for like five snack five seconds, and you would try to sneak a PB and J that you were making for the kids. <laughs> so 
Um, but I feel like so like I got an offer to be a intern at Arkansas State with just football. Okay. And I asked them, yeah, we usually come in at six and we're done by eleven. Cake all day. Take that job. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> and I would have just taken doing football. It. And you're just dealing with what you like and what you're good at. Yeah. Just dealing with football. He's like, I'm I'm the head guy that deals with football. I need a couple guys to come in and help me with it. He's like, it's an unpaid position. I was like, ah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That. That's why it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm already got my master's. I'm already certified. Like, I just need a paying gig. And mm-hmm. that would have been a great one, but I couldn't do it. So I just ended up being a personal trainer again at Tarleton State. Because I didn't do the strength conditioning the second year I was there. Oh, okay. Okay. I just helped the football team, and I was the personal trainer and athletic performance coach at the rec, training all the club sports. Got it, got it, got it. That's what I'm going to do. When I go back to UNT, I'm going to go personal train, I think. I don't think I'm looking forward to it, to be honest with you. It's really, not, it's really not bad. It's actually not bad money. Yeah. Well, the money aspect when it comes to training, I'm not too worried about because, like, it's so easy. For me, at least, I can market myself well enough to where I can always pick up enough clients to make the money I need to. But like you said – the headache sometimes that goes along with personal training to me is not worth it at all because like chasing clients around doing this doing that because like you like they say they want to get fit but then when it comes down to it only a small percentage of people really want to put in the work to even get semi fit yeah and, and that makes me so angry cuz like if you just do this for a little bit you're going to get there. And then you get the clients who do it, and three months later, they're, once they get those first results, it's over. They're your, they're your client for the rest of their life if, they, if you want them to be. But, yeah, and I think I think 24-Hour Fitness did a great job of teaching us that is like the three-month thing. Like three months, you see results. It's not going to be the results that you want, but it's going to be results beginning to get to where, where, where you want to be. I'm going to get you addicted to fitness quick if you can just give me the time for a little while. Yeah, but they don't. They're, they want it now. Well, okay, so let's go into that. Let's go into the fitness world now because the guy I'm saying at right now, um, he's all, we, were, we were in the Navy together. We, he's always been fit. He's always lifted. And he's looking into buying a gym, a big gym that they have here in his city. And yeah. he was asking me yesterday, what do you think the future of fitness is? And, and now you see like the Pelotons and like that mirror thing on the wall where people can do it. You see the group fit or the group classes and you see CrossFit's really taking off because it's a group thing and people don't want to think. Well, and CrossFit for me, I used to be against it, period, no CrossFit. And I'm kind of changing my view on it if it's done in a correct manner. And because I think CrossFit can be so dangerous that having 15 people in there doing clean, clean and jerks and deadlifts and all those things without the proper technique coaching is a way to injure yourself. But if you've got like three people in there and you have a good coach who can really sit down with the beginners at least and explain to them, these are not movements you should be doing just willy-nilly. Like, these are things that can really hurt you if you don't do them correctly. And so the more fitness evolves, I think there's going to be more group classes. But at the same time, there's more bullshit trainers than ever as well. And everyone now, especially women who have good genetics and are just hot at 23, yep. they get they get some cracked out... Uh, certification offline for 40 bucks and they're like buy my fit tea and yeah buy my fit tea and take my green shot and you're gonna be fit it's like no 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 that girl is just hot like you don't understand she's just a hot girl at 23 and if she doesn't do anything she just still she's still gonna be hot 
but and it, and it's just that's I think a big part of the fitness industry is moving that way and people aren't getting the truth about fitness like to be fit I mean you know you're a fit dude but to get the abs and get the muscles and get the veins that takes 24 7 discipline and it really does for a very long time oh yeah and, I, and that's something I struggle with still because nobody wants to hear that nobody wants like oh you're gonna have to basically dedicate your life for six months if you want to look like somebody in a magazine you just have to there's no there's no way around it yeah, so you, you talk about the future of fitness. I think it's going to ultimately, I think it's going to end up in gyms not being a option when coming to work out. Because now you see what happened with COVID is gyms shut down. So what did everybody do? They went out and they bought their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I my own stuff. But, I, I got, dude, I'm in an RV and I went out and bought barbells and plates. And I put them in there and I will travel around with them. Yeah, and so it's like, do, is a gym ideal for training? Yes, because they have things there that you cannot buy because they are severely overpriced. Yeah. There's exercises that you can do. There's there's a variety of, there's a variability there. You right. can do. It's <laughs> a tough word for me to say, but there's a bunch of different things you can do. When it comes, so like for instance, when it comes to chess, if you got a barbell and some plays and you don't have a bench, the only thing you can do is floor press. That's it. That's your subject. Yeah, so then you go to a gym where they got bench press, they got decline, they got incline, they got dumbbells, they got cables, they got all this other stuff that you can do. Well, you can also do push-ups. But there's a bunch of things that you can do in there that hits different parts of the chest. And and I feel like they're not understanding that. They're just like, well, I got my own stuff. I got this girl that's going to sell me Arbon or Plexus. I got this guy that's going to sell me Herbalife or Advocare. And you're sitting there and you're like, as a so as for for a guy like me or for Pete, who are super knowledgeable about supplements, or even you who's super knowledgeable about supplements and what's in those things, and you're sitting there like, don't take that. And they're gonna be like, well, why? Because they're making money and you're not. You're like, no, because as a fitness person, those products piss me off because all they have in them are filler. Their their matrix and their complexes are terribly blended. They make no sense whatsoever, and the results you see by taking those is a placebo effect because you think they're working, so you're working harder in your workouts. And and 90% of the people who are selling those are already fit. And it's like those – we can just use Arbonne as an example because it's the one that's on top of my head all the time because I see it all over my Instagram. But those people selling that, Arbonne's relatively new into this fitness world. And like people who are selling it at like a mainstream thing now, those people who have been selling it now didn't take Arbon for their whole life. I mean, nope. they worked out up until maybe two years ago when Arbon came big, and then they started selling it. And they're like, "Oh, take it, take your, take my fiber drink." And then I promise you, you're gonna shit your brains out until you can't fucking get off the toilet, and then yeah. you're gonna lose bloat because there's nothing inside of you. <laughs> like you're just yeah, it's, it's like. People don't think when they so like people. <laughs> this one girl contacted Cameron and was like, "Yeah, uh, I'm an ambassador, and you can use my code and get all this off." I'm like, Cameron, don't do that. Don't buy that. She's like, "Why not?" I was like, "Those products are terrible. You're gonna take them. You're not gonna feel a difference, and you're gonna get be super upset that you spent 150 dollars on it and that she made all that in profit. That's why they do it because there's there's the middleman." It's it's a Ponzi scheme with the product. That's all it is. 
Dude, so I had somebody, <laughs> and it made me think of the. Do you watch The Office at all? I haven't in a long time. So there's a, there's a a an, a scene where it's like they're going over a pyramid scheme, and like Dwight's up on the on the whiteboard. He's like, there's a top guy here, and a guy here, and a guy here, and he sells here. And then Jim walks up and draws a triangle around it, and he's like, yeah, a pyramid scheme. So I was having somebody try to sell me something. And I was like, you know, that sounds like a pyramid scheme. They're like, no, 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 it's multi-level marketing. And I was like, so let me get this straight. You're the top dude. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, and you got a couple people below you who you sell to. And he's like, yeah. And like, then they sell. And I'm like, yeah. I like, you know what that makes, right? That makes a legit pyramid of people. It's like multi-level marketing is a pyramid scheme. And then you go online and you look up these companies, and they've all been sued for pyramid schemes, but they they all settle out of court, so they don't so they don't get labeled pyramid schemes. And it's like they're just. They're just fucking everybody. Instead of just telling people, hey, take more multivitamin, maybe take like a COQ or a CQ10 if you want. Like, take a, I don't even like recognize, like, multivitamin, creatine, maybe some BCAs. They're not really needed. And, and just eat a lot of fucking vegetables and, and cut sugar out. And I promise you, if you do that long enough, you're going to have a nice body. Yeah. And then you, then you get the, the meatheads that are like, well, I want to get swollen as crap and this and that. I'm like, okay. Well, first of all, don't take don't take a whey protein blend because whey protein is gonna make you put on weight, and you don't want to put on weight if you're trying to get muscles and make them all cut and look. I was like, you probably need a casein protein. You probably need to take this and not this brand. And then you sit there and you watch them, and they go and buy the exact things you tell them not to buy because because of the marketing. The uh, marketing, man. They're so these companies are so good. Like these pre-workout companies, these BCA companies, they make it seem like you have to take these things. And if and once you do once you do fitness long enough, you learn like for me now, maybe a cup of coffee, maybe an energy drink every once in a while if I'm feeling froggy and I want to get something different than a black cup of coffee. And I mean, you can look at my supplements. I got a, a gummy multivitamin because I like gummies and I'm a fucking kid. And I drink water. And it's like then I just lift weights. Yeah. And I drink and I eat, but if you just do things long enough, correctly for a long enough time, you're gonna get the results. Yeah, and if you and, and then you look when I was trained, when I was you know because when I was working out, when I was working twenty four hour fitness, I was still doing tryouts and stuff. You know, I might I was taking what it was a uh, that pre workout blend that me you and Pete came up with, which is just the caffeine pill, the Yohim bean, mm-hmm. and what what was the was there a third one or was it just those two? Uh, it was just those two. And maybe beta if you want beta out. If you like the tingles, oh, yeah, yeah. beta. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it was it was uh the caffeine pill, which was two hundred milligrams, the Yohim bean, and the beta alanine pill. And then that was the pre workout. And then Let- the post workout, I took my creatine and I took all my other stuff that I was taking at the time, which it wasn't a lot, but it was it was stuff to help me get stuff that I knew that I researched that I went and kind of made myself with Pete's help that got me stronger, got me more lean and in a better physique. I mean, I went from 280 when I started to 240 still just as strong as I was, if not stronger at 280. And yeah. it's like you just got to research and know what you're taking and know what you're putting in your body if you want to take something. And look at the back of the thing, like your pre-workouts. Look at that that list of of ingredients they have. And you can go to GNC or anything online and buy those ingredients in the bulk. For I mean, beta alanine, if you get it in a pre-workout, you're going to pay, what, 50 bucks for a 30-serving 
tub of it, or you yep. can go to GNC or Vitamin Shop and buy a hundred servings of beta alanine for six dollars. And it's like, well, why would you ever go spend all that money? You know, like it says Ghost, and it's it's got cool coloring and it's got some flavors in it. It's got it's the like, name. It's got the brand. It's got the name. It's got the marketing, and everybody else takes it. So I'm gonna take it. So I'm gonna I want to put a picture up and look super cool. I'm not talking shit about everybody because I've done all these things myself. Oh yeah, so why when I was I've young. Done, Dumb. Yeah, and we have both gone as far. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm gonna. I mean, I've gone as far as to take like injectables and to take SARMs and to take all these things. But I look back on it, and I'm super glad I did. Not because of the side effects that I got, all the bad ones. But now, when when clients ask me, hey, what do you think about this? I can give them an honest answer, and it's like, yeah. are they worth it? Probably not. Unless you're gonna step on stage and try to make money with your body or your strength, go in that direction, go in that route. Maybe not. Isn't or might not be worth it. But I can't fault anybody for wanting to do it either. Yeah, and I think me and you, when I was thinking about taking SARS, because I my main struggle is I struggle losing my belly fat. Mm-hmm. And we talked about SARS, and I, I did my you and with Pete, and I talked with Pete about stuff like that, and he mentioned some products that I could take, and you did as well. And I even I even tried the, the letrozole that you gave me. Um, and so, I, and I'm not... I'm not ashamed to mention some of the stuff I take. You know, I took those uh, crazy bulk uh, natural uh, replacements for like steroids and stuff like that. So I had steroid like supplements in my body, but without the injections, without the side effects and anything like that. And I got freaking, I mean, those things work. There's no no joke. If you're going to do something and you want to go all the way with it, steroids fucking work. But you also have to put in work. That's the big thing, too. I was talking about the when I was staying in Fort Campbell a week last week, that guy who I had hung out with, we had both done steroids at the same time. So you can take steroids all you want, but if you still don't put in the work, like you're just not gonna look like a person in the magazine. You're just gonna get fat. Like that's yep. it. Yep. So I took so instead of taking like the real thing, I was taking like knockoff natural supplements of that main, like so D ball. Mm-hmm. I wasn't taking actual D balls, taking a natural replacement for D ball that was D ball like with the like and I got crazy jacked and I got crazy strong. And then, you know, I started to get away from that because I, you know, I wasn't going to play anymore. I didn't need to take that stuff anymore. But now somebody comes to me and asks me about what do I do with this? What do I do with that? I'm like, hey, if you're not doing something with that, I wouldn't do it because there's no point in doing it. You can get the same results by doing this stuff and taking this stuff instead of taking that stuff where it's going to put you out about three, $400 when you can just do the exact same thing for 50 to a hundred. And I will say this, the only supplement brand that I even invest in now or take now is Jim supplements. Uh, because one that dude is a doctor, Dr. Jim Stepani, all his stuff is, third-party tested, third-party research. It's his own research. He's published in numerous articles and things of that nature. And then you go and look at his ingredient list, and he doesn't have any fillers. It's all labeled right there. He says, this is the matrix I put in. This is how much of this I put in there. And this, If you look at another supplement list from another company, and they say, oh, this is it's a weight loss matrix, and it'll just say 500 milligrams. What... what, what what is this? What's in it? You yeah. know, they won't tell you. Jim Stepani will literally tell you this is what's in it. This is how much of it's in it, and this is what my brand cost. Now, could I make that same stuff 
on my own for cheaper? Yeah, I probably could. But one, I don't have the uh, necessary requirements to do that because I have, have mixer and all yeah. that stuff, and I don't have that. And it would, and I would rather just buy it straight from his website, which is the cheapest place to get it, or bodybuilding.com, where you can get everything for cheap. So it's like you have to do your research on what you're going to take, but you also have to figure out what you want to do to figure out what you want to take. And even if, if you want to take anything, yeah. sometimes you don't even need to take anything. Sometimes people just have it naturally where they don't have to take anything. And Yeah. yeah. And I and to come full circle, I think this is where the, the fitness industry goes. There's two major camps forming between the people who are transparent, you, myself, Pete, Ben, Daniel, all these good trainers, Ron, who are going to tell you straight up, like, this is what you need to do, and I'm going to give you the, the facts about everything. And then you have this bullshit coming out, the mainstream, the mainstream fitness, where it's just like girls with fat asses who all they do – it's like your ass is going to grow – if you do a thousand squats of different things in the gym a week, yeah, like, I mean my biceps would grow if all I did was bicep curls. Like your ass is gonna grow if all you do is hip thrusts and kickbacks. Even if yeah. you're not doing them correctly, you're gonna do something. It's called muscle inflation and protein synthesis, and your body <laughs> goes through it every time you do something repetitive over and over and over again. Yeah. So the, these two camps are forming, and I think it's a, I think it's. Sh- it's a fight that needs to be fought by good trainers everywhere. Yeah, because it's a lot of bullshit. And I think I think personal training needs to be taken out of corporate gyms as well. Yeah, well, with I mean, there's silver linings to COVID, obviously, and I think that's one of them is that these at home and it's a bad thing too though because these at home trainers are going to get more attention than ever. But it also lets the good trainers open up their market too. I mean. As long as you can adapt and move forward, you can get clients. And, and the good trainers eventually, I think, will win out because people are, even if they go and buy these supplements, they're going to see eventually that this is not how you do it. And it might take five, six years, but they will get to the realization that it's, it's, just, it's just a lot of work. And it's like, there's nothing, there's no easy way around it. You can't shit yourself every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> those supplement shits are a different breed man keep drinking your fiber drinks and your and your bubble teas and all that stuff and and not eating vegetables and keeping the processed sugars out of your body like you're you're gonna pay the price in the long run and it's simple as that yep and i and i think you're you hit the nail on the head with saying that you know these two different camps you know but i just don't want to see the gyms which we're already seeing you know they're failing because one because of covid two because of people you know not doing the research and is doing all the bubble teas all the detoxes and all that stuff and going at home doing all these at home workouts that they see on from instagram models and instagram trainers and celebrity trainers and they're buying all these different programs online and it's just like I mean, I understand you're trying to better yourself and you're trying to figure out what works for you, but at some point in time, you have to look at the actual program. You have to actually look at the trainer, at the fitness model, at how long have they been doing this that shows me that they got results by doing this or have they always been this way and now they're just ripping people off because of how they look, you know? And and I think that's just going to be the downfall of the whole fitness injury, you know, they're, they're not going to listen to people like me who 
I don't have abs, right? I have I have massive shoulders and traps. I have biceps. I got a big bench, big squat. I've been lifting for eight for twenty plus years. I've been training for multiple different sports. I train multiple different athletes. You know, they're not going to listen to a guy like me because I don't have the six pack, the pecs, the abs, the V cut, the the broad cut shoulders, and the big cut biceps. But you know. They're going to listen to that fitness guide on Instagram who gives them a bunch of nonsense and just spits out. They just regurgitate everything else they hear. Yeah. They just learn. They literally watch a video on YouTube and they go make an Instagram video about it and tell them exactly like that's what they do. Yep. I mean, detox, man. The only thing detoxing or detoxing is your wallet. Nothing else. That's it. They're just taking your money and it makes me so mad. Let's yeah. uh let's 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 end on this because we can just keep talking shit about shitty trainers all we want, <laughs> um, but that, there's no need to go in any money more about it. Yeah, uh, I love your coaching, and I'm gonna try to get to your game next year. I don't know what's gonna happen with everything. Yeah, and I'll be up in Kansas here soon, I think, and so I'll come see you in person. We can do another one in person. The room I'm in right now is the room you'll be staying in. As you can see, you got the kitty fan right here. <laughs> Perfect. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Thanks for coming on. No problem. All right, let me end this. See you later. See ya.